Welcome to the Apple of Truth, our weekly podcast where we cover every single episode of Lucifer while celebrating the great parts, pointing out the bad parts, and answering questions you never even knew you had. I'm Lena. And I'm Vero. And we can't wait to share our love and hate for your favorite characters. Today we're talking about season 5, episode 15. Is this really how it's going to end? And that was exactly my thought when I watched this the first time. Like, yo, what the fuck? But before we get into the episode, today's shout out goes to Julie once again for upgrading her pledge to a believer status. Thank you so much. Whee! And hope you enjoy all that backlog of bonus content awaiting you. We also believe in you. Thank you for believing in us. Alright, let's see what this episode is about. While working her last case, Chloe loses not only the father of her child, but also finally learns Lucifer's true reason for wanting to become God. Lucifer, on the other hand, is not able to convince enough of his siblings to support his campaign and is now preparing to go to war. Rude. Very rude. I feel like, I don't know, I'm, I haven't decided yet if I'm gonna live in denial about this as well as, you know, the other thing that does not exist because I am forever in denial about that. That. Well, but now they're both gone, so you can stop being in denial. I don't know what you're talking about. Do you think Charlotte is in heaven? Oh, yeah, no, we, we know Charlotte is in heaven. Yeah, we know that. Well, you can be in denial until they're uh, reunited at some point. Maybe she's coming down to hell for him. They are both living at a farm upstate. Oh, where dogs go? Yes. Okay. And gotcha. fish and everyone. Fish. Okay, sure. Instead of denial... Let's talk about another obsession. Oh yes, obsession of the week. I have decided to go with swing the votes. Same, I have swing votes as the obsession as well. I did not expect this. Me neither. This is why I didn't do any like <laughs> dancing around it. Wow. Nice, nice. This puts us at 8 of 15. So if we manage to have a match next time, we will beat our previous quote of 50%. But we can be worse than we were last time, is the point. That is also true, but we strive for greatness, not repeated performances. <laughs> I'm pretty comfortable with repeated performances if they're good enough. No. That sounded sexual. I would like to point out that this was not meant sexually way but at the beginning. Mm -hmm. I'm just gonna let that stand there, if nothing else stands. That's what she... <laughs> Let's look into the facts and funs, and I'm gonna wait until you finish drinking so you don't go spitting. Because we have first-time director Ildi Modrovic. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I knew that somehow. This is her only directing credit ever. I am pretty sure she has posted about that on Instagram. I'm gonna double check, but I did not remember it was this episode. But I know that she definitely posts about it. There is a bunch of... We'll get to the details when we get to the moments in the episode. But yay, go Ildi. She did a great job. We have 12-time writer Jason Ning returning. Previous episode was Really Sad Devil Guy, which was the season 5 opener. This is his final writing credit. Oh no. So he leaves us with a torture. The title is said by Ella, which puts Lucifer at 6 out of 15. Boo. Which means that he will not make his 50%. And we already know that we will be better than him. So yay us. 
Yay, us, sad for Lucifer. As per usual, we have some fun IMDb facts. Let's see where they end up. When the psychic talks about how she was working with a person who works in TV, specifically at Fox, Lucifer says, good luck with that. Clearly a dig at Fox Network for canceling Lucifer. I completely missed that in the episode, I say. I know they mentioned Fox, but I didn't connect it to the station. I was wondering why they're talking about the, the animal, sorry. Oh my god, girl. Then hearing about Amenadiel's new job and sarcastically saying that an angel and a detective working together makes perfect sense is clearly a dick at the show itself. And then a very IMDb fact, Easter egg on the wall where Dan is, a numeral 5 with an unusual blemish in the shape of a cloud next to it, foreshadowing a particular dark turn to the series. Literally a cloud of doom. I don't even know when and where this is supposed to be. I didn't see it. So dear listener, if you have any idea what they're talking about, please let us know. Because we didn't find it. Uh-uh. And this concludes the facts and funs. I hope you had as much fun as Vero did, judging by her face. I am confusion about the last one. <laughs> Okay, well, that leaves us with a last segment before we get into this thing, which is previously on Lucifer. Dad decided to retire and because Ames doesn't want the job, Lucy and Michael are competing for it. Ella had a chat with Dad. Mace has grown a soul but refuses to accept it. Lucy and Chloe are together and Chloe decided to quit her job to be Lucifer's assistant after he gets the god job. Very good. And we start right into the scene in Lux. So I assume we have a song. There is indeed a song. It's called California Love by DW3, which probably stands for something. And Greg Manning. Awesome. And speaking of California love, our new angel friend, quotation marks, that we meet definitely looks like a California sunny boy. He is Jophiel. And first I was like, oh, well, he seems like a himbo. But at the end of the scene, no, he's a fucking asshole. And a himbo cannot be an asshole. So I retract my initial thought that I had. He does the peck dance when one of the girls passes by. And it's just so subtle. Like nobody pays attention to it and I just noticed it just you know (laughs) and it just I didn't notice it it made me giggle at that moment because it was so dumb from him it was so very typical but he just kind of straightens up a little bit and like gets his pecs is it pecs boobs yes gets his pecs out and does the little dance when you kind of you know what I mean yeah and it's just but I do have a question about this friendship shall we call it between Lucifer and Jophiel how did they hang out because it feels like on earth I know on earth I get that part I mean intellectually it feels like each of them has a very different opinion on what entertainment is because Lucifer wants to go for this high class exclusive really cool parties now do you think he was like Jophiel before he pans Napoleon. I mean, he would do that anyway, still. I think Lucifer evolved and Jophiel did not. Okay, I guess so then. That would make sense. But uh, it was just such a weird image to have these two having partied for years on Earth together. What did they talk about? I don't think they talked much. I think they mostly drank and pranked. And banged. Probably. I'm pretty sure the two of them have, have had sex. Definitely. Together? Yes. Orgy time. Oh. Definitely. I mean, they're brothers, but... So? They're angels. Yes, but Lucifer has a very specific opinions on that we has expressed in the, in the past. <laughs> I have no idea. It just works for me in my brain, so... Okay. So, yeah, they drink the vodka. Such a nice bottle. Jophiel is just gross, though. Yes. It's just... 
But the bottle is very pretty. I want the bottle. Bottle is pretty. I mean, you can buy a bottle like that or like a similar like to that, I'm sure, from the company that makes it. You do have a name of it. So, you know, do some Googling. Get yourself a nice empty bottle without the fancy million euro vodka inside. If you want to know what she's talking about, you need to listen to the bonus because that did not make it into the final cut. I ended this scene with what a dick. This is all I have to say on Jofiel. I mean, that's all you need to say. So we can move on to the crime scene and move on we do with a song called More by Sorry. Great name. We open outside the crime scene and Chloe is trying to get more information from Lucifer. And I'm completely with her. She needs more information so that she can prep things. To not know shit and to not be able to prepare goes very much against her character. And it also would against mine. And so I'm completely on board with her. Not winging this. No, she needs all the info he can give her. The question is how much information does Lucifer actually have? for himself. Which he tells her. But still, it's like, this is gonna be big. And so she is worrying because she has no information. And until that point, he didn't really let her know. Yeah, it's very understandable from her side. Also, I love how they just now make it normal that they actually talk about everything that's happening, even though Lucifer is holding back the reason. Everything else that's happening, he is sharing with her, which is really nice to see. There's definite progression and growth there, which is nice. Even though the fact that that Chloe is being so supportive in saying, if anybody can do it, it's you. I don't like the fact that it, this is something, even though it is supportive, technically, it is putting Lucifer under even higher pressure, especially because of his reasoning why he wants to be a god. Obviously, he didn't tell her that, so she has no way of knowing. It's meant to be a vote of confidence, not more pressure. And because she doesn't have all the information, it has a different effect than intended. And because she doesn't have the information, I don't blame her for the effect it has. Absolutely, yeah. So we go inside, and Dan is talking with Ella. And Dan is matchmaking. He wants Ella to meet with his ex-partner Carol Corbett who has a girl's name as Ella points out and that I wouldn't mind but I am not a fan of matchmaking in general because there's so much that can go wrong and when you are the one trying to matchmake anything bad that happens has a very high probability of backfiring to you so it's usually better to not actively um, meddle? Meddle, that's the word, yes So we're recording this just after Christmas Merry Christmas everyone! Happy Hanukkah! Yay, it's the end of January. <laughs> this comes out weeks and weeks later, but still. Happy New Year! Happy Holidays! Happy New Year! I hope you had a good one. I hope you enjoyed your wedding and your birthday and the birth of your child. I hope that you're getting Christmas 2022 sorted already because it's coming soon. Congratulations on your promotion! <laughs> Congrats on getting that new job. Um, I'm trying to think of other things to congratulate people on. Anyhow. Congrats on the sex. That's it. That's all I can think of. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's a good note to, to end on. Good sex is, you know, important to happiness of people. And because we're recording it just after Christmas, I just went through an entire fucking marathon of Christmas movies. And according to pretty much every single Christmas movie that is on Netflix right now, with like a small exceptions, if you're single, it's bad. Single means bad and family meddling and making you get together with somebody good. Oh, did you watch the gay one? Oh, we watched that one weeks ago. I fucking hated it. What? I hated every single person there. Like, why is it so bad to be single? Okay, 
duh, that's something you have to ignore for every Christmas movie. Do you know what a good, what is a good movie that I actually really liked? The one Christmas movie. I tweeted about it yesterday. Last Christmas. Have you seen that? I have no idea. That's a very generic title. It's the one. Have you ever seen Crazy Rich Asians? No. And uh, never mind. The the main actor, the guy, is the same main one from the movie, and it has Emilia Clark. It's English, and it's not a typical Christmas movie, and I really liked it. Bryony Kimmings and Emma Thompson. Oh yes, Emma Thompson is in it as well. Yeah. Oh, they wrote it. Uh, okay, sorry. Emma Thompson is in it though. But yeah, actually, surprisingly, very good film. Henry Golding, Michelle Yeoh. Yes, Henry Golding. That's that's your man. Very good. Recommend. Uh-huh. Okay. It came out last year, I think. Oh, the poster is awesome. It's a wonderful life, but wonderful is crossed out. It's a life. <laughs> It's funny as well. Mm-hmm. Very Christmassy. I recommend if you find yourself in not knowing what to watch and are in a mood for something Christmassy, that is definitely a one to go. All right. Now, matchmaking, not a good idea. Matchmaking and it's stupid and it's I just fucking hate it. I hate the idea of the world that being single is a bad thing and you will never be happy unless you're in a relationship. Not to mention married and children and whatever. There. Anyway, yes, sorry, that was a side tangent that I didn't expect and didn't want to go on. But Ella is being very smart and very healthy because she points out that she is now finally at a point where she is good with everything that is happening and she is comfy with herself. And she's absolutely right. This is the most important step. If you are not comfy with yourself, you have absolutely no way of being happy in a relationship or in a healthy relationship. So good on her for saying, "Uh uh-uh, dude, I need to take it slow. Yeah, but I have a question is she talking about the talk that she had with dad last time? Is this why she is suddenly feeling better? Because No, because afterwards she was she had a conversation with Linda, she had a conversation with dad and she's still working on her issues and now we are being told that it's working. Her working on herself is working. It just felt a little surprising to me in this moment because I didn't remember there was any breakthrough or anything like that. No, because that's not how actual therapy works. So I'm actually quite happy with that. Okay. I was just wondering if I missed anything. I don't think so. At least I I'm not aware of anything. I read it as this is how actual psychological therapy is. You keep working and working and working and slowly you get at being okay. And that's where she is. So that was good for me. She says the word owinophil. I can't even pronounce it, which I googled. And yes, it is the word for someone uh, who likes wine. So... When she talks about the dude. And Lucifer comes in and he makes a pun, which I'm sure you appreciated. Waterboard out. It's so funny. As much as it pains me, I have to admit it got a giggle out of me. Even Dan found it funny and he follows Lucifer's lead. So happiness and teamwork all around. So I was very, very happy. Of course, this episode is an episode that cannot give us a moment of happiness. So when we move over to the slow-mo for Chloe, when she looks around, I was very sad because this is Chloe taking everything in in detail, what she will be missing when she is no longer a cop. So just two scenes in and there's already sadness and it's not gonna stop here. Well, there is two more things that I would like to point out that made me giggle. 
first one is Ella unlocking the dude's phone by aiming it at his face, at his dead, dead face. They've done that previously. I haven't noticed that before, so this made me very, very... <laughs> this is an issue with the current iPhone generations because you don't have the fingerprint scanner anymore. You only have the face recognition. What? That's dumb. So, yeah, this is the easiest way to unlock the phone and they do it quite frequently in many shows. Like, I was watching SWAT. They also do it there. Okay, well, that's fascinating. I never noticed before, but I will be on the lookout for it from now on because I find it hilarious. Your dead face is still your face. You're dead right. <laughs> Damn, nice. And the second thing is that as, you know, we get the slow-mo and it finishes on Lucifer stealing the wine from the, from the wine cellar. And it's just so on brand. I love these little details that make me so happy. The fact that he's still... And he just goes like, what? He's not gonna use it anyway. And he has a very good point and at least he appreciates that shit. So that is good. But now she tells him that she has something that she needs to take care of and she leaves and we cut over to the precinct where she is finishing what she needs to take care of because she just handed in her two weeks notice. And I will never understand the two weeks being the standard thing in America because in Germany you have a longer minimal period. Two weeks is in your probation period. After that, it's four weeks. Hmm, interesting. But I'm pretty sure being a fucking detective comes with more work that needs to be finished up. And knowing Chloe, she definitely has too many vacation days left that she didn't take. True. So, true. yeah. I say it's too short. Often you can't carry them over, so it's probably just from that year, that last year. Hard to say. I don't know. Depends on the on the policy of the specific company. So she gives her speech and it is very emotional and everything. And I'm still standing on my hill that I am not happy with her quitting her dream job. Because being a cop is what Chloe is at the core of her person. Listen... <sighs> It is, but we've talked about this last time. There's no need to get into that again, but yeah. I'm still not happy. Let me put it that way. So it didn't hit home as much as I'm pretty sure it was supposed to, because I'm still opposed to it. It is first of many speeches in this episode that is supposed to make you emotional. And they only build up from here. This is the baseline that they set. And it only gets worse emotionally for us. <laughs> Speaking of getting worse, the worst moment, of course, is for Ella and Dan. More so Ella than Dan, because neither of them were aware. But Dan at least can extrapolate why. Because he got told by Chloe about the whole Lucifer wanting to become God. So he can figure it out by himself but Ella has no information and so it must be absolutely shocking for her especially in a moment where she has just told us that she is now finally starting to feel secure in herself this is gonna rock her world and so I'm very very sad and upset for Ella I thought when you said the worst moment you were gonna go for the fact that the title card drops and we don't get our title music which funnily enough in the German Amazon subtitles it claims that the title music is playing when it's not <laughs> I no words. How dare they? Ildi! <laughs> we, right after the title card, also get the title drop by Ella because she is shooketh, rightfully so. And with the little bit and false information that she has, she, of course, assumes that they are gonna go to fucking Florida. <sighs> Yeah, well, I'm on team. Ella needs to know and everybody should tell her right now. Yes, Ella is taking this extremely personal as she should and I'm very upset with everyone. Yes, 
Now, I understand why Chloe is doing this though. And we've talked about this before. So I am on Chloe's side about her reasons of why she's doing what she's doing. I mean, I have my own opinions on it. I don't think it's gonna last because she is way too in love with the job and she is way too good at the job. But from her position right now, this is what she needs to do for her relationship and for her partner. So I am on her side. Go girl. But now we can head over to the psychic very briefly on my account because I do not have many notes on this because it's dumb and it's very they are playing into every single stereotype that psychics are on television the open phrasing and everything yeah the whole guessing of like okay so it's something personal but if it's not personal so that might be a job either or no, it's a health issue that might come from the stress you're feeling about work like oh, yes awesome I'm Chloe basically oh yeah scoffing at everything. I think it's set up so we all feel like Chloe. And Chloe calls her out on it and that made me very happy. But honestly, I'm with Lucifer. This is a very good scam. Yes, the scam is good. It's smart. It's terrible, but it's smart. It works. It's good. It's smart. It's well done. For some reason, I noted that we were having yet another train metaphor because back when Jofiel was there, he said that Michael was just keeping the train running and here we have another train metaphor. And I'm just like, what's it with the fucking train metaphors? Jason Ning, what you doing? <laughs> I haven't noticed. For some reason, it was so obvious to me. It was like, yo, what? We get a new clue from this conversation. A tiny lead. Tiny little lead. And we can cut over, please. To dance plays and a game that you own, if I'm not mistaken, right? I indeed own it. It's called Unstable Unicorns. And I love it. It's one of the most beautiful artworks ever. And it is true that the most colorfully dressed person starts. Indeed it is. I have only played it once, I have to admit because the rules are actually really convoluted at least the way I have found them and in all fairness I was pretty drunk when I was trying to play this game and it was about 10 of us trying to play this game so it's very possible that it's way easier and simpler than I remember but it's just so pretty it's so pretty and it's unicorns you can't go wrong with unicorns and I'm completely I am Trixie in here I am 100% Trixie I love it she probably is making up rules in this way anyway speaking of 100% Trixie of course we have a ginormous chocolate cake on the table when Dan cleans up a bit and we see that a big slice has already been eaten so that is very in character but while he's cleaning up Amenadiel comes rushing in and not gonna lie I'm with Dan becoming a cop seems very very low level for someone with Amenadiel's skill set so I get that he is not instantly like, yeah, awesome, this is the greatest thing. And it is sad that Amenadiel does not feel supported. But in my opinion, it's extremely understandable. I definitely think that Dan doesn't mean it in a way that you're not able to do the job. Or you're not good enough. Quite the opposite. Yes, exactly. It's you are too good to be a Bitska. Yeah, to just be a cop. You could do so much more. It does fit with Amenadiel's recent development of I want to do the nitty gritty, you know, day to day. It also fits with the callback we get with Caleb because he did have intimate interaction with the police system and how broken and problematic it is. So it makes sense that this is what he focuses on. 
Especially in an episode where we get the callback to Caleb. Caleb who? <laughs> really? Did you forget about Caleb? I did not this time. I did first time I was watching it. We've talked about this in the special. I had no clue who they were talking about until the very last second. Okay. But ever since this came out, we actually covered that specific episode on the pod. So I have paid way more attention to it. And <laughs> this time around, I actually knew who Caleb was. And it was me, Emmanuel, and Daniel who are the only people who remember who Caleb is. That is true. No Caleb yet. Before we cut over to the next scene, we see the same four posters that we have seen in Dan's flat before, so continuity works. Well done. Yay! Now we go to Luxon because we are there outside of opening hours, because Lucifer needs clearly a little bit more quiet and peace to convince his sister. We do not have a song. However, we do have an angel. Disappointing. We have a new angel. This is the second new angel this episode, named Sarah Quell or Sarah and obviously the two new angels we meet this episode are the content of my devils and the details for this week's bonus Yay! Also, I struck one of our questions from our question list because this year is the answer to the question if powers work on other celestials. They do not. That's true, actually. We were going to ask about that. At least it doesn't work on their siblings. So the creatures that are the same race. Yeah, celestials. Demons, we don't know yet. But the question was, do angel powers work on other celestials? The answer is no. I have stricken the question from our list, which is currently free pages long. God stricketh. It has been strucketh. Okay, well, Sarah Kill needs to get off her high horse anyway, because we find out that she was on the side of Lucifer during the first rebellion, but after the loss, she has been a victim of dad's passive-aggressive wrath. Because dad is a dick. He is a dick. I found it quite funny, though. And honestly, she deserves it, because she is a bit of a terrible person. She thinks that she's definitely more than Lucifer, and she is very easily convinced to switch sides by bribes, in my opinion. Point of contention, maybe she is such a dick because of passive aggressiveness by dad for millennia. That is also definitely possible. And I will happily blame dad for everything. So In the end of the day, she's another day it older. is his fault because he created them. That as well. But she also needs to get off her high horse because she's a Top Chef fangirl in the worst kind of way, which is so fucking entertaining when Lucifer brings in the dude I did not put down the name I have no Michael Velasquez I have no knowledge of Top Chef or any of these shows I don't watch the Great British Bake Off which apparently in America is called the Great British Baking Show because of a trademark issue which is hilarious to me they changed the fucking plaque thingy that you get as a winner digitally they changed that so yeah absolutely ridiculous anyway me neither I don't know who this person is I am quite convinced I did not look it up but I'm quite convinced that this is the real person who actually won Top Chef probably just by the way he is moving and speaking he doesn't feel like an actor yeah It's a smart move by Lucifer, needless to say. Yeah, and you know what I enjoy about this is, yes, he asks her what she desires, but he knows the answer in advance. He comes to this meeting prepared. Yes. He doesn't need to actually ask her, but he does anyway. He gives her a chance to be honest with him, but in turn, he also is not honest with her because she asks him a direct question as to why he is doing this. And he does not lie, but he dodges once again, which in turn leads her 
to say, oh, I'm gonna need a few more days to think about this. And the answer is going to be no. I mean, the way she phrases it before, after this, it's gonna be very difficult to say no to you. It's still open, yes. It's still very indicating that she will say no anyway. Yeah. And with this, we go back to actually working the case. And I only have one thing about this scene, which is, well... There is more to TJ than meets the eye. We get over there with a song called Heretic by Stop Dead. Dead as dead people, not like Stop Dad. Just to wanna, wanted to clarify that. Uh-huh. I like, again, pointing out the fact that they talk to each other and they are being supportive of each other. And they kiss and they hear doors creaking. Which leads to a very good point. Who leaves their door open in LA? No one. No one willingly. They head inside and learn more details about the case until TJ comes back and my note is who the fuck are you and how you got so strong. So with that we continue to work the case in the precinct. And Ella is doing her very best to make Chloe and Lucifer feel incredibly bad. It feels like she's quoting a book. Yes. It's so good. It's so funny. I'm absolutely with her. Of course, still, they need to be honest with her. They need to tell her because this just is unnecessary suffering for Ella. And I am never a fan of that. But I am a fan of goodest bean Dan, who says he's gonna do the grunt work. He's helping out with Chloe's final case. Dun, dun, dun. Of course, it's gonna bite him in the ass. But truth be told, he has done the grunt work for Chloe before. This could have gone wrong. This could have gone right. There was no way of knowing. There was no indication of this specific case being any different from the previous ones. So uh, definitely don't like the fact that Chloe is blaming herself after she finds out. Yeah, we're gonna talk about blame in the end because for me it's very clear who needs to be blamed. There is a lot of blame to go around. And there's exactly one person that, in my opinion, deserves it all. But before we leave this scene, we have another attempt at matchmaking and we get one of the rare instances where Dan speaks Spanish to Ella. I mean, it happens from time to time. All right, enough with the fucking matchmaking. We go into Linda's and we are having a dress rehearsal for Maze's Queen of Hell outfit. So what do you think of the dress? While it is a very regal outfit, I am with Lucifer when he says later on that she looks like a bony xylophone. xylophone. I have seen a sneak peek of this dress on Leslie Ann's Instagram, I think like a week before this part dropped. And I was in love with it because, you know, if you use something like this in a serious context, it actually is so cool. And I was like, yes, I will cosplay this. This is going to be amazing. However, the way it is actually handled in the episode made me not want to do it because as much as I love the design and everything, the way they make fun of it, it just doesn't seem worth it. And, you know, I'm on board with it. They're not wrong saying it's over the top and it is a bonus xylophone. Yes, but it is also very cool. And if it was approached more seriously, I would have thought about this as a cosplay in more seriousness as well. I get that. I'm mostly with Linda. She is very on point. She is very clear in what she says. She is not giving Mace much wriggle room. And Mace is aware that Linda is right, but she is in active denial. Aren't we all? Yeah. 
also there's a reference to Chad. Do you know who Chad is? Who's Chad? I don't know who Chad is. It's somebody that Mace clearly slowly suffocated and killed. I was like, who the fuck is Chad? Did I forget something? No, no, no. It's just a very... Dear listeners, if you remember who Chad is, please let us know. Send us an email. I don't think Chad has been mentioned before. I think it's a great offhanded Mace comment. But I think... And this is just my opinion. I think Mace is feeling like having a soul means losing control. And her solution to that is to get rid of a soul or, you know, go to hell and become a queen. And, you know, she doesn't know how this is going to turn out. And in my opinion, she is fixating on her wardrobe so much because that is the thing that she can control. And it's just... It's just kind of sad watching her go through the motions because you can so clearly see that she is in pain and she just doesn't want to let go. But she wants to let go at the same time. It's just this whole, oh, baby Mace, I just want to give her a hug. She is scared because all of this is basically untread territory for her. So she needs guidance, but she is not the person to accept help easily. So she is sticking with what she knows. Lucifer shows up, does the bony xylophone comment and lets us also know that he has one last swing vote, who is Zedgiel. And that is going to be interesting. The angel of righteousness that we have met last, last episode? Yes. And he is indeed a dick. And he says, I'm going to tell him something that I have never told anybody before or something like that. And I was like, ooh, what are you going to tell him? Well, he's going to tell him I was wrong. In an amazing cut over to the penthouse. This is perfect Lucifer fashion, how we love it. And can I just say, Zedkiel is very hot. Sure. <laughs> okay, not for you, apparently. <laughs> hey, I'm more in the Lucifer vibe rather than Zatkiel vibe. Also, it doesn't help that Zatkiel's name is reminding me of an Rs because in Czech, a butt is Zadek. So... <laughs> I would just call him Zed, you know, like, don't, don't. Chad? Don't. Maybe he's Chad. No. <laughs> no, I find the actor for Zed Kiel very hot. So that was nice on the eyes. Mm. So for me, I was kind of hoping that Lucifer is going to go with, and this is why I want to be God rather than I was wrong. He is trying to tell Zed Kiel what he thinks Zed Kiel wants to hear. And what he's saying isn't per se a lie, but it is a very partial truth. It's crafted truth. Well, he leaves out the details that are not working in his favor in this setup that he believes is the only way of potentially, maybe, hopefully turning around Zedkiel. But also he is very aware it was always going to be no. Because at the point when Zedkiel says, I'm only here because Jovial said you bribe with top shelf, it is clear this is done and over with. And so being angry, Lucifer finally is properly honest. And this is a performance by Tom that I found very, very impressive. Because he's, throughout the entire monologue that he has there, he has this super high emotionality in it without tipping over into it being ridiculous. So he basically is holding on to his control by the last tiny thread. And my heart just goes out to him in this moment. And Zedkiel seems very intrigued by this splurge of truth that Lucifer has just unloaded on him. Yeah, and that is speech number two. Oh yeah, definitely. And much better speech than the other one to me. Well, the, the ending of this speech, he goes, I will become God with or without your vote, which feels very ominous. And I wonder how exactly he's planning on doing that at this stage. So, hey, it is a good speech. It is indeed a good speech. And it's 
very well performed or delivered by Tom Ellis. But ah, this entails something that we might not like in the future. Probably, yeah. We go back to working the case and Dan is doing the grunt work, going door by door. Has a very nice conversation with the lady inside. And I was surprised that he caught on because... I did not read it in his face or anything, so well done. And the camera pans over and we see that the lady inside has a gun to her head. Fucking Rob Benedict can't for once play a role of a not-asshole. I love Rob so much. He's the nicest human being in the world. And he plays the biggest shit stains in history, so awesome. My note was, hi Rob! And Dan leaves... Apparently because all seems fine, but he gets out his phone, he calls for reinforcements. Because good boy Dan, decent cop Dan, caught on, but not enough to be aware of his surroundings because... Now he has a gun to his head. Not by Rob, but by someone else. Mm-hmm. I don't like it. I don't like it. Dan is too good of a cup for his own good. And I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. And as we cut over to later in the day when everybody is over at this house and it's a crime scene now and the lady is getting taken out of the house, I was just in so much rage and... It was just, nah, I hate this episode. It was already very ominous that he got taken and then it gets worse by seeing that she did not make it. And then we have the whole, we couldn't ping his phone. We find the phone that's broken and we find the dog tag. And we also get a vote of confidence from Lucifer, which I really appreciated. Yeah, we get a lot of good things towards Dan from Lucifer at this moment and it's on one hand it's a little sad that he was never really able to share that with Dan face to face but also I kind of feel that their relationship grow enough lately especially lately for Dan to know that well the thing is their relationship was never about telling each other these things face to face but if in doubt Dan knew that he could come to Lucifer and Lucifer knew that he could rely on Dan so to me this was implied behavior towards each other but it's nice to see Lucifer vocalize it towards other people and of course in the next scene when we go into the precinct it goes a step further because Mace shows up and apart from anything else that happens in the scene mace shows up lucifer takes it to the side and tells her to call in favors from criminals and she goes which favor do you want me to call in and he goes all of them just for the slight chance of finding dan and this is the moment where even in the first viewing my heart was just breaking because this is so over the top that it could not go well that he is willing to go this far, spoke very, very badly for the fate of Dan to me. This was the first viewing where my heart broke. Of course, this time around, the second I realized which episode this is, my heart was broken from the first second of the episode. It's just so shitty because I knew what was coming and I just couldn't focus on anything else at this stage because it was just all about, I know what's coming, I know what's coming. And they're trying so hard and it's not going to be enough. They're racing against time. They are calling in all the favors. They are doing everything they can and more. But the fact that we know, because we've seen this before, that it's not going to be enough is the most heartbreaking part of this entire thing. It still gets worse because we go into the hideout or something and we get a French accent from the Rob and it's a very bad French accent according to my French friend. Listen, we're gonna talk about the accent when he speaks a little more because I decided not to comment on it 
this time because he literally has like three sentences in the entire episode. But if we hear more... I never know anything about accents, but I remember distinctively my French friend telling me that his French accent is horrible. It is. It is. It is terrifyingly <laughs> wrong and bad. Again, we've talked about this in the in the special. No bueno. <laughs> anyway, they're being complete twats to Dan. It's like... How dare they? Why would they even think that Danielle has all these all these answers? I don't understand. Because he's a cop. So? Clearly the cops don't know anything. It was the cops who murdered Caleb. It was beat cops who made murdered Caleb. Cop is cop, especially for a criminal. But he's supposed to be a leader of a major crime ring. He's supposed to be smart. It just was weird to me that they are me- beating up this like random detective who just was looking and canvassing. Who just happened to show up at their doorstep. It makes sense that they think he has more information than he tells them. But he literally said to the woman why he's there. And then he obviously knew that something was amiss. So they could assume that what he was saying wasn't the truth. Whatever you say, this is not going to convince me otherwise. It doesn't make sense to me. That's okay. We get the picture of Caleb's grave. Did you recognize his grave? (laughs) Yes, I did. Did you? We didn't see it before. I recognized the name, Caleb. You could see the name? Yes, you can see the name. Uh, Caleb med something. Girl, freeze ram queen here. Duh. Okay, fair enough. (laughs) Fair enough. I did not freeze ram this. I freeze ram basically everything. And of course, Dan would remember the name, but he doesn't give them anything. So good boy Dan holding up. Very proud of him. But that, of course, means he's gonna get punched some more in the face. And we very briefly pop back into the precinct to see how efficiently everybody's working. And I could not help myself but trying to hope for a different outcome, even though I knew what was gonna happen. I was just hoping that they were gonna make it. It was just the stakes are so well set up in this episode. They could have made it a bit more efficient by having the angels go alone because they're indestructible and have wings because Chloe is like no one goes alone well no one goes alone except for the angels who are taking the furthest locations oh I didn't read it as each angel takes other locations but basically no one is allowed to go alone but since Chloe is the one who is gonna show up later Dan is not in one of the further locations he is in one of the closer locations and we go back to the hideout Dan managing to knock out the dude I'm very very proud of him I forgot the bad guy's name so him mumbling so that the dude would come closer and and knocking him in the face and getting off the chair and his hands in front of him all very very well done it's just such a trope though that the villains have to have a conversation with the person they're about to murder you know désolé no because they are looking for information and so the dude wants to make sure then didn't change his mind and is now telling them something that they can use I don't mean that. I mean the fact that he has to stand over him before he shoots him and starts talking to him, telling him how sorry he are and that it's not nothing personal. You know, it's just such a trope. Maybe that's his shtick. So I I don't care about that. What made me wonder, though, is why didn't Dan try praying to Lucifer or Menadiel? I don't think that he thought of that at the moment. It was just such a heat of the moment. But yeah, that would have actually, that probably would have been a, a good thing to do. Because they would have been listening for something like that. Because he knows they're angels. You just completely negated this entire situation. They could have easily saved him. Yes, had he prayed to them. It's all Dan's fault. Okay, well, now we know who to blame. It's Dan's fault. I want to, because I don't think we have any questions for Kevin yet, or if we have, we have very, very few. So I want 
to put on the question list, why didn't Dan pray to Amenadiel when he was captured? That would have changed everything. Deus ex machina. Angel ex machina. Same thing. Angelos ex machina. Angelus. Oh, well, we're, we're talking in English, so my Latin can sound English, since we don't have any actual accents for Latin. So that was the only question that I had in this scene. He tries to get away, and all in all, he gets three shots to the body, and it was clear to me there is no way he can survive this. I was surprised that he is still alive when Chloe finds him. Human body is a wonderful, wonderful thing. It is capable of many things that seem impossible. Well, when you have three holes in your body and you're bleeding out, uh, it doesn't matter how how strong your will is. So, of course, story-wise, it's important because they need the hint of Caleb and everything. But, yeah, this was painful. Very, very, very painful. He makes sure to first get out the information that she has the Caleb word and then he takes care of the rest, which is tell Trixie that I love her and that I'm sorry that I'm not gonna be there and everything. And, of course, he wraps it all up by saying that he's afraid. There is a song that starts playing. It's called Wish We Had More Time by Alice Bowman. And it's a very painful moment in this episode. It's a very emotional conversation. And on one hand, I am glad that he dies in Chloe's arms, that they do have sharing the moment, the last moment. I mean, he technically doesn't die until he gets into the hospital, according to that following a scene. But, oh my god. But to me, the worst part is always when someone who is in the process of dying goes that they're afraid. Because you cannot do anything to soothe that in that moment. And of course, him being afraid foreshadows the end in a certain way because he does not end up in heaven so that is very very painful but the pain doesn't stop here because we go into the hospital tiny fun comment Ella's shirt is a unicorn behind a rainbow that says I don't care seems kind of bad taste bad timing obviously she was wearing that shirt beforehand but still I was like hmm okay no, but all in all, this is extremely gut-wrenching. Everyone is waiting. The music is playing. The doctor is coming out telling Chloe that it didn't work, basically, with just a shake of the head. Everyone is miserable. Amanadiel is hugging Linda. Mace and Ella don't have anyone hugging them. They're just standing there. And then, of course, it just gets so much worse because Trixie shows up. Because if you thought you were in pain before, it was not enough. Yeah, because having the child go through them one by one to get them to tell her something else and she ends with Lucifer because he never lies. Ah, big, big props to Scarlett for her performance in this scene because it's incredible and it really cuts so deep. I did not expect this. I did not expect myself to be so overthrown by emotion because at the start I was like, I'm going to keep it together. It's gonna fi- it's gonna be fine. I'm watching this waiting room and I know what's gonna happen. And then when Trixie walks in, it's just a new level of hell. And it gets the worst when she says, I want my daddy. Because that she's usually so grown up for her age, but this is the moment she is her age. And she is just being hugged by Chloe and everything is horrible. And while this happens, Amenadiel and Lucifer talk and they realize 
Ah, oh, Caleb. So they go to the graveyard. So to be fair, episode with Caleb was season four, episode eight. So it's been a minute. So I should not be penalized, neither me or anybody else on the staff there, for not remembering who Caleb was. Obviously, Eminidiel is going to remember him. And obviously, Dan's going to remember him because he is one, a good bean. And two, he is a very good friend with Eminidiel. And it was a very big moment for Ames. So, you know, it is understandable for me that nobody really knows who that is. Is. We go into the graveyard and the grave is open. So someone fucking grave robbed Caleb's grave. Did nobody notice? Well, it must have been very recent, apparently, and maybe nobody cared about this part of the graveyard. We learn, and I did not actively remember this again, that Amenadiel put his necklace on Caleb. And I get why he didn't think there would be implications, because so far when humans had hold of the necklace, it didn't have any consequences. So I don't blame Amenadiel. But also, I had not only forgotten that he had put this on Caleb and we saw this, I also had forgotten that in the end it was Michael who was behind all this. It had conveniently slipped my mind that Lemek is not the actual villain here. He is just a tool. He is indeed a tool. But yeah, I think when I was watching it the first time, I misunderstood the situation with the necklace because I couldn't remember the moment that Emenadiel puts it on Caleb and I didn't remember who Caleb was. And the whole situation was just so confusing to me last time that I did not gather that and I was not sure what the fuck was happening and why would anybody even go for specifically for that necklace. However, watching this again, with the knowledge all of all of these things, it makes so much sense. And it's so smartly written. Because Michael is reassembling the sword. And Lucifer points out, I just sent Gabriel over into Mom's universe where the blade was. Gabriel is working with Michael. Michael now has two pieces. Now all he needs is the buckle. Where is the buckle? I thought, I'm pretty sure that he throws the buckle in with the sword. Hmm. So she brought both back, you think? I think so. So he just needs the so he just needed to pin and now he has the entire sword. I don't remember this exa- uh, in detail, so we'll see how it goes. But, well, we have now learned that this was Michael all along. It was Michael all along. Uh, you didn't watch WandaVision, right? I have. Oh, it was Agatha all along, right? We go over to Chloe's and she finally put Trixie to sleep and Lucifer offers her a drink and your girl you might not need a drink I definitely needed a drink in that moment (laughs) so it just feels like they're taking one hit after another the whole situation with Michael and the whole situation with Dan and suddenly it becomes a blaming game and to be honest I am on Chloe's side in her rage towards Lucifer because she does not see the whole thing. She doesn't care about the angels. She doesn't care about Michael. The only thing she sees is Lucifer didn't tell me the truth and Lucifer doesn't trust my feelings for him. And this has directly resolved in the father of my child dying. So I understand where she's coming from. I hope that she's not going to stay there for long. I hope they're going to work through it. But I am so on her side right now. I understand where she's coming from because she does not have the space for the big picture stuff. But the thing is, even if Lucifer did not want to become God, Michael would need to be stopped from becoming God. So this conflict between Michael 
not becoming God would happen either way. And there would have been collateral. Unless he would just become God and nobody would go against him. And then he would be God and it would be so much worse. She doesn't have the space for the big picture stuff. But this confrontation, this conflict would have happened either way. And the more power he has, the worse it's gonna be for everyone. So the sooner the better. But it is absolutely understandable that she does not have the capacity for the deep analysis right now. Also, she has every right to be fucking upset at Lucifer for still not trusting her feelings for him. Because we've been over this repeatedly. She is not the one who has issues wording her feelings. We go into the penultimate scene. The funeral. Time to no. say goodbye. No, no, is it not the song that's... Pl- okay, never mind. So we finally meet Carol. Yes, before we meet Carol, we see the big American flag placed over the coffin, which is part of military and stuff funerals. I have never understood that because you, in the end you received a folded flag. Maybe I'm not American enough because I'm not American, but I have never understood this entire thing with the flag. It's a thing and I refuse to accept that as a thing for myself because I just don't... No, the thing is I just don't understand it. What's what's the point? Why? What are you supposed to do with the flag? Are you then keeping it folded up somewhere? Why? What's the reasoning behind it? As you said, Carol shows up and first I was like, dude, not the right time. Maybe it is exactly the right time. Maybe it is exactly the right time, yeah. They have this conversation and he says he was always looking out for me. And that reminds Ella that she needs to talk to Amenadiel. And she says he was always looking out for everyone. And it's so true. He's the big mama hen of the group. He's the one who always makes sure that everybody else is all right before he takes care of himself. He's... uh, He... He was the best bean. As Amenadiel later on in his speech will make very clear. Once again, I forgot about the whole heaven-hell thing for a moment there. I was like, well, Ames could just go to heaven and talk to Dan. Oh, wait. No, he can't. Right, there was something. Good bean Dan. He supported his friend right before he died. He handed in the application for the police academy. So I'm very, very proud of him. And we learned that Dan is not in heaven and it is implied that he is in hell and very much none of this is fair. It is not. As I said this is not fair, fuck you. And Amenadiel includes that in his speech that none of this is fair. Which to me is a very important part in the speech or in funeral debates in general. I've been to quite a lot of funerals in my time already and sometimes for way too young people and the struggling with the what is the point of all of this? What is reason behind this why did this happen is one of the big struggles people mostly have how do i deal with the unfairness of it all with the seeming randomness of it all so this being addressed in some way i always found comforting and since i'm not religious the whole god mysterious way does not work for me and i very much appreciated that amenadiel did not use a religious approach in his speech which he of all people could have done Although he does know for a fact that God's not there anymore. He lies in his speech for Trixie's comfort. Yeah, Trixie and Chloe. Which I also appreciate. Because this is why it's good that the Menadiel is giving the speech and not Lucifer. <laughs> I mean, obviously, it makes way more sense for Ames to be the one delivering the speech as well. Because they were actually actively best friends. But also he can lie. Also that. 
It is a beautiful speech. That is speech number three. It really raised the standards of all the speeches and it's heartbreaking. It's not the best speech of the episode. That is still coming. So now we have Mace walking to the funeral in her beautiful outfit. Of course she found them. I would not be surprised if this was some sort of her Lilim outfit. It feels very warrior-like, vengeance-like. And as Lucifer is walking with Ella towards the microphones to sing their song, she tells him that she found them. And that's not a surprise to any of us. No. She just needed more time, which she didn't have in the beginning. But she always finds them. And now we get this beautiful montage that's heartbreaking and terrible and terrifying and beautiful all at once when... Ella and Lucifer sing the goodbye song. It's called It's Hard to Say Goodbye to Yesterday. And in their rendition, they sing it in two languages, which is more than fitting for Dan. And it is originally a song from a movie from like 1975. So if you want to know a little bit more about the song, you have to go to my bonus because I am talking about this one. And I 100% recommend to go and watch this scene on YouTube. We will put the link to this specific performance to the episode as we posted because if you need a good cry <laughs> yes that's a this good is way. a good thing to watch and rewatch over and over again you know until you're numb or cried out or dehydrated to death so we get that and as we are watching the funeral and the folding of the flag and everything we also watch lucifer and mace go into a warehouse where lemex crew and they start cleaning them out in the most wonderful brutal way i cannot recall when we had this much blood visible while people are being taken out i don't recall either uh what i know about this scene is that it was shot in one shot it has been choreographed and prepared very thoroughly there is a video of one of the takes on Leslie-Ann's Instagram. Oh, right. I which that. I will happily send a link or post the link with it. Uh, it is incredible, though. It's the choreography and the way it's set up. It's beautiful. And after this, I have only one question. And it's a question that I asked during the special as well, I'm pretty sure. What did Lucifer tell Lamac? What did he whisper in the ear? So it should be on our list already. I don't remember if we ever learned. I don't think we do. I think that Rob has mentioned somewhere on his social media that he will never tell anybody. Ooh. Because it's between between him and Tom. Okay, I shall put it on the list and remind me. But definitely, yeah. Let's ask Robert Benedict. And now that our emotions are frayed, our hearts are broken, and the bad guys are all dead or presumably in custody... We go into the last scene of the episode and I had to watch it twice because this scene is so chilling and so intense and I am fully with Lucifer when it comes to the grief and rage and pain that he is feeling in this moment and everything he says I understand where he's coming from I don't agree with everything like I don't agree that Linda's job should not exist because therapy is so much more than dealing with pain alone but aside from that I agree with pretty much everything he says I mean you say or you'd think pain should not exist but also pain is there for a reason and pain directs you to there's something wrong with you. So, you know, there is a medical condition where you don't feel pain. And it's very, very bad. But Linda says pain is inevitable, suffering is optional. And that's the yes, point. Yes. It's also a quote that I have written in my notes. But the thing is that Lucifer makes it very clear that the system is unjust and broken. And he is absolutely right about this. And someone like Dan should not be in hell, period. 
if nothing else needs to be fixed, hell or the system of hell would need to be fixed. So Lucifer now has a new reason, a deeper reason to be God, because he needs to fix the broken, unjust system left behind by his father. And so we go to war. See, if you put it that way, I'm okay with it. To me, becoming a god for love feels like a better reason than becoming a god for vengeance, which is what it feels like right now to me. And I get it. But to me, a big part of how he is feeling right now is vengeance. It's not all of it, but to me it is. But vengeance against whom? Michael. Michael, dad, Vincent. But he already got his revenge on Lamech. Yeah, but I don't think that it was very satisfactory, judging by Lucifer's face. Well, he knows where Lamech is headed once he dies, and this is where he's gonna get his satisfaction. So I don't see him as vengeful. I see him as beyond angry and in incalculable amount of pain. But to me, this is beyond Michael. Michael did not create this system. That did. And to be able to change this system, he needs to become God. And to become God, he needs to beat Michael. And yes, it will definitely be satisfying to beat the shit out of Michael. That is without a doubt. Here's hoping. I mean, that, that goes without saying, basically. But Michael is a necessary step towards fixing this system. Let's have our final thoughts. This episode hard watching it the first time. And it hurt even more the second time. Probably because I knew what was coming. But also, this time around, Dan is my favorite character. And learning that he not only died, but is now in hell just plain sucks. I'm fully with Lucifer's grief and rage in the last scene. And as much as I appreciate him having now a new, deeper reason, I still fear that this is not the right motivation to become God. Because he would be probably even worse than the biblical vengeful God if he becomes God in this mindset. As he pointed out earlier, he also does not have a great track record when it comes to waging war against heaven. So we'll have to see how this goes. Aside from this, I also worry for Mace who still clutches at being queen of hell as the solution to all of her worries. Which, once again, wrong motivation to become this other person, creature, position. Mostly, though, I worry for Ella, because with Dan dead and Chloe and Lucifer leaving the force, she will be virtually left alone. Even if Dan's intended matchmaking works out, I still see much, way too much sorrow in Ella's future, and I do not like that. Chloe trying to prepare for being Mrs. G was very in character and I feel their communication is getting better by the day. But I am curious how Dan's death might change all of this. Not least of all because Chloe now can't just leave Trixie behind without Dan being there and being available, like logistically. Finale coming next? They better fix it all. Well, it did ramp up very fast in this episode. One minute we were having a perfectly pleasant season with episode-long pranks and stupid murders. And then in the next moment, we're heading into a celestial war while there's also a good chance that more of them will die. Not that I care that much about angels dying, especially since the worst and most painful thing happens this episode. But you know what? I get Dan's death from the writer's point of view because as much as it hurts, it really does hurt the most out of all of them. But also it makes the most sense because they have been getting this ready for a while. And looking back, that is something you can really, really tell has been sewed bit by bit into the last 
season. What really pisses me off, though, is that he is in hell. And I will demand for that to be fixed soon. So I do hope this war won't bring more victims. Because war never does, right? Mm, never ever. And I do hope that it will all be finished and done by the finale, which is the one episode next. Because the idea of war being the main plot of season six may be interesting to some, but not really for me. And with this, we say thank you for listening. Please find us on our various social media. We love interacting with you either over there or when you send us emails to lucifer at taot-podcast.com. If you want to get even more personal and have secret chats with us on our exclusive Discord server, you can join our Patreon over at patreon.com slash taotpodcast. We have a whole bunch of different rewards such as early release, merch and hours of bonus content. Yes, Hours. If that sounds like too much pressure, you can help the show by leaving positive iTunes reviews. They really help. Or telling all your friends about us, because nothing beats a personal recommendation. Thank, Thank you. you! Bye! Bye.